Coming up on this week's edition of the Pick 6 with Jacob Westendorf and Brendan Dwarzinski, we are recapping preseason week two, another big week in a myriad of ways for Jordan Love. Looking ahead to the Seahawks game, getting to some other big storylines from the preseason. It is week three of the 2023 edition of the Pick 6. Let's go. And welcome to the pick six week two of the preseason is in the books. We are getting ready for week three and a visit from the Seattle Seahawks and the one and only the ageless Pete Carroll. He is the smarter, more talented, more connected and better looking half of the show. Jacob Westendorf. I am your humble host, Brendan Dwarzinski. Appreciate you guys for hanging out with us live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. Well, X, whatever it's called everywhere live here on Tuesday night. Or if you're listening to the podcast version, we appreciate you hanging out with us today as well. Jacob, we've got a ton to get to today. Pretty impressive outing, I thought, at least at the beginning for the starters offensively for the Packers in Week 2. Well, let's let's correct that. The very start wasn't all that great, but after a little while, they got punched in the mouth. They responded. We'll get to all of that, including uh, the response from some of the offensive linemen sticking up for their quarterback as well. We'll talk some offensive game planning. Uh, We'll predict wide receiving leaders or just receiving leaders in general for the Packers this year. I have a feeling I know where one of my questions is going to go answer-wise with Jacob based on our conversations last week. Whole lot more to get to. Of course, if you are watching live on YouTube, Facebook, etc., let us know what you're thinking. Let us know your thoughts. We'd love to get you involved in the show as well. Uh, How'd you feel about preseason week two? Are you feeling a little bit more in midseason form? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was definitely... I was set up. I told my family we were on a trip. We took... um, we took my daughter and mostly my daughter Deacon was there, but it was just like, whatever. Um, but we took them to the zoo. And then on Saturday we went to this aquarium in Milwaukee and everything we were doing. I just told them, you know, whatever it is that we got to do, I got to be done and ready by six 30. Well, the game wasn't until seven. So I said that knowing how my family operates, cause they don't, they're not sports fans like I am. So it's like, you know, when the game starts, that's not as big of a deal to, to me as it, or to them as it might be. To me, but definitely in in midseason form was was frustrated with the Josh Meyer. Like I get super frustrated with mistakes that I find to be just completely avoidable. Like sometimes, like there's an, an interception that comes to mind last year where Rodgers just got clearly fooled by the defense. He threw the ball, the safety jumped it, it got picked. Like that happens. But snapping the ball is like the most basic function of an offense in peewee football. Like it just is. So all of that means, you know, when they fumble the snap to start the game, essentially it's like, well, cause my hope for these preseason games is the Packers take the first drive, go eight plays, 80 yards and a touchdown. And then the starters go sit down and Mm -hmm. that can't happen (laughs) when you fumble the ball. And I'm always a believer of like when, whenever you're doing anything that you should finish on a good note. So like if you're practicing pitching in your backyard, your last pitch, for example, should be a strike. Well, you can't end the night on a fumble either. Like that's my, my take on that. I don't know how coaches feel about that, but I feel a lot better. I think the team is, is in a good spot going into week three of the preseason. They're going to play their starters according to Matt LaFleur, unless he's changed his mind, but he was pretty definitive that like, I think he said flat out Jordan is going to play. 
Good. We we I need to I need to see more of him because I'm a starved for football and I just want as much hype and reason for optimism as possible. So usually I am in the camp that there's no point in playing your starters in the preseason. I think this team definitely needs to play their starters a bit in the preseason to get some of those live reps. So looking forward to that again, we'll break down the entirety of every storyline going into week three, of the preseason against the Seahawks coming up in a little bit. We'll talk about love specifically here in a little bit, but as has become tradition here on the show, we've got to get to our extra point, which very fittingly and like every football game comes first before we get to the pick six, our icebreaker for the week. Jacob came up with this one. He's been killing it with the topics. Your first Lambeau Field experience. How fitting as we get closer and closer to the start of the year. Jacob, what was yours? You, see, yeah, I, I grew up in a family full of Bears fans, so I did yeah. not get mine until I had my own money to make my way to get there. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. But uh, my first Lambeau experience was when I was 12. And this question was inspired because my daughter's first Lambeau experience will be this Saturday. We'll be at the game uh, for Seattle and uh, I'm bringing my nephew too. So a couple of uh, kids in the family getting their first experience at Lambeau. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be a lot of fun. So that's what inspired this question. My first experience, I was 12. It was 2003, the same year as we want the ball and we're going to score. The Irvin Favre passes away towards the end of the season. Favre rips apart the Raiders like three days later. They get into the playoffs because Nathan Poole, who – earned the key to the city on that particular day against Minnesota or uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Against Minnesota. Um, it was a Monday night game. It was raining and we found out uh, my brother and I on the way to the game that we did not have tickets as we left Rockford for green Bay, Wisconsin. And it was me my brother, my dad and my uncle and my dad and my uncle were Eagles fans. My brother and I are Packer fans. And so going to the game was going to be, you know, a really cool experience for all of us because I don't think to date either my uh, either of those had seen the Eagles play in person either. Um, I'd ask one, but I don't think he'd answer, and I can ask my uncle after the show if you guys would really like for that. But <laughs> sorry, <laughs> oh, sorry, Brendan. It, yeah. uh, I just watched your face as you understood yeah. the joke. It, it took uh, a minute to process, but eventually I got that one. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, we get up to the game and uh, we find out that we don't have tickets and I can just like feel the energy. My dad told me later, like he told my uncle that like, I am not explaining to this 12 year old and this 10 year old that we don't have tickets to something they've been looking forward to for weeks. So my Smart uncle goes out. Parenting. Yeah. So my uncle goes out to scalpers row and he, uh, he says that basically like he'll pay 200 bucks for this pair of tickets. And he got him. And my first Lambo experience, we had four tickets. Uh, and my uncle said the bad news was we weren't sitting together, to which I was like, okay, whatever. Well, the first set of tickets was in the fifth row of the south end zone. Um, and the second set of tickets was on the 30-yard line on the Packers sideline in the first row. The unfortunate part was I was sitting in the south end zone as Todd Pinkston caught a game-winning touchdown for the Philadelphia Eagles to win that game 17 to 14. Uh, it was a fun night though. I definitely remember it was rainy. It was rain soaked and nasty. Uh, and we would get another shot that year to play the Eagles in a game that is now commonly known as uh, Freddie Mitchell's finest hour, fourth and 26. Not a good year to be a Packer fan living in the house with the Eagles. But yeah, that was my first 
Lambo experience. And I have others of like when I first bought my own or whatever, but yeah, that's one I'll definitely never forget. Brendan, what was yours? So I was in college. I was a freshman at KU, uh, 2013. That was famously the year where Shea McClellan tried to break Aaron Rodgers, and he was out the first time that he broke his collarbone. And I had been wanting to go for forever. One of my best friends uh, back home is a Packers fan too. And we're like, hey, look, we're, we're going to go. We're, we're going to make this happen. And even if Rodgers isn't playing, we're going to go. We went right before Christmas. I think it was, the, it was either the 22nd or the 23rd of December. Pittsburgh. Week 16, they're playing Pittsburgh. And I thought, okay, cool. Like, we're, we're cool with Pittsburgh in my family's house. Like, I've always, you know, respected them as an organization at the time. That's cool. Um, not a big, big Ben fan, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, two franchises with a lot of respect for each other. And I'm going to go to Lambeau Field and it's going to be awesome. And I got the full experience because it was cold as hell. It was extremely cold. Um, I wore gym shoes because I'm a moron and it had snowed the night before. So there was snow all over and my feet were freezing. I can't remember how cold it was at kickoff. It was maybe not in the single digits, but almost it, it was, I mean, everything that you can expect, uh, when you go to Lambeau field in late December, uh, they lost, that was Flynn sanity at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Jarrett Boykin had a great catch in what would have been the, I was in one of the end zones. It was a left corner of the end zone. Great touchdown catch early in the game from Flynn. Um, disastrous clock management by the backup quarterback at the end of the game may have cost them a chance to win that one. And then Mm -hmm. I shit you not, and you are going to love this story. Do you know who played on Sunday night football that same night, week 16 of 2013? (laughs) Yes, I do. Because we needed the Eagles to win the game. So it was the Eagles and the bears and the Eagles won by like 80 points. I could not believe we, you know, we had to drive back to suburb, you know, West suburban Chicago that night. And we're getting, mm-hmm. we're walking to the car. I can't feel anything, you know, that poor diabetic circulation really killer that day. We're walking out of Lambeau field and everybody, every single person that I could see was chanting, let's go Eagles. I could not believe it. It was incredible to hear that at Lambeau field. And then they beat the tar out of the bears and we all know what happened. The next week in Chicago, which I was not there for that one, but uh, yeah, that was Randall the Cobb. first of just two times that I had been there. And that one was uh, memorable, but sadly a loss. What's the other one then? Aaron Rodgers' perfect passer rating game against the Raiders 2019. Oh, sure. Yeah, I was there too. Okay. Yeah, that was the night hi. after. Damn. No, I didn't. We didn't. We didn't know each other yet. Um, I had a friend of mine who was coming down. He came from, he lives out in Colorado. He's a, um, Oh, wow, Matt. That was a great one. Packers beat the piss out of the Broncos. Unfortunately, uh, not the Super Bowl preview we thought it was because Elway didn't play that day. Um, but yeah, the the guy who went with my brother to the game is from Colorado. He's a Raider fan. Knocks on my door at 2 o'clock in the morning and rings the doorbell, and he's pissed drunk. And I was like, you are so lucky. My daughter at the time was one month old. I'm like, you are so lucky that she was not home. She was at my parents' house because they knew we were going to the game the next day. And I was like, you. so I refer to him now as disrespectful Dont because he's a disrespectful piece of garbage for ringing my doorbell at two o'clock in the morning. And I'm not going to make the reference of the sporting event that happened uh, that particular night because I've promised not to make references to a baseball team. But let's just say that there was a buzz in the air, maybe underneath the shirt of a certain player for the Houston Astros or something like that. So that had just happened four hours prior. So I was already pissed about that. And yes, 
Kawano, I remember the 2019 Raiders thing because tell the rest of the story about how we were supposed to meet up and you ditched me. Go on. What's Oof. our first topic? Oof. <laughs> Brutal. Mike's not even on a mic to defend himself. Oh, that's uh, we'll, we'll get Mike in the comments here to uh, he doesn't deserve to defend himself for that because guy from Hawaii never comes to Green Bay. And sorry, but I'm like broke and it costs a billion dollars to drink water in Hawaii. So I'm not going there. It is damn you. There, I, I've never been. It's worth the trip if you're ever able to make it. I was there for my honeymoon. It's it's absolutely lovely. Um, Next Chris, time course, I get married, I'll well. try that. Uh, don't tell Frankie that. All right, let's right. get to some actual going on now 2023 Packers talk. Let's look back, Jacob, to this past Saturday preseason game number two. Didn't start out well at all. You mentioned it right at the top as we were leading things off. The fumbled snap, I don't know if it was 100% Myers' fault. I don't know if part of it was Love's fault not being prepared. They talked, uh, John Kuhn talked about it a little on the broadcast. I lean toward blaming Myers on that one, but I, I don't know exactly what the checks were at the line, so I'm not going to you know speak out of turn here. But after Matt that, Matt fir- basically said that they're coached to snap the ball if somebody moved. So there was a, a defender for the Patriots that jumped, but he didn't get far enough into the zone. So like, it's still Myers' fault. But it's also kind of a play that like love should catch the ball basically. Sure. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's on Myers more than love, but there's a slight amount of that blame pie that goes to Jordan love too. So after that moment, there were really two other headlines from a thousand foot perspective to the game. One, it ends 10 and a half minutes early because of the very scary hit to Isaiah Bolden. Thankfully he's okay back with the team. That is a major relief. And then it's the touchdown drive for Jordan Love. And it was working the ball down the field effectively. It was getting popped late, getting back up and barking at defensive linemen. A phenomenal throw to Jaden Reed and a great finish by Reed as well to score the touchdown. And then that was it for the starting offense. And Love finishes 5 of 8. I believe it was 83 yards in the touchdown. Um, Not his best at the very beginning, kind of similar to preseason game number one. But he comes back, has a beautiful drive to score. That's headline stuff. Sean Clifford did what he will always do and why I told you last week I am excited but also very scared about him as a backup quarterback because, God, that is terrifying sometimes the way he throws like his eyes are closed. Um, We saw maybe not quite as much in terms of dynamic play from some of the reserve running backs who were fighting for one of those last roster spots. I thought defensively there were some bright spots up front. Carrington Valentine, who's been a camp darling so far, not his finest hour on the field. What are some of the biggest things or maybe the one big overarching thing you take away from last Saturday's game? Yeah, that this pass rush has the potential to be a buzzsaw. Uh, They have gotten basically zero snaps in preseason games from their best player, Rashawn Gary, their next best player, Kenny Clark, and they're one of their best players, Preston Smith. Preston's played, but like they're basically saying, hey, you're out there to say that you were out there and just don't get hurt in the three snaps that you're out there. Okay, cool. Awesome. Moving on. Yep. Uh, Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks have been stars in preseason games, really, and, and kind of in camp, too. They've certainly flashed some potential there. I want to see them against some better players. That's something I'm definitely looking for the first quarter of the season or so, is trying to figure that out. Uh, and J.J. and Agbare, that's a guy who – you could have argued him anywhere from without Gary second to fifth on the depth chart. And he absolutely wrecked this game for the Patriots. Like 
I'm almost bummed that it was a preseason game just because I would want to see, like, I mean, we've seen pass rushers get on heaters like that. I remember, like, Zadarius Smith's performance against Minnesota in that 2019 game or Reggie White against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And not to, like, invoke those two names specific or Clay Matthews, you know, just not that Enigbare is going to have plays like that. But just to see how would his night have gone because he played for, you know, 10 minutes total. And had two sacks, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. Like, he was absolutely phenomenal. And, again, this is a team that you're talking about as far as pass rushers they've played early on. It's And they've gotten, you know, from a pass rush productivity standpoint, not much out of their best guys, like I just mentioned. They're two starters. And their first-round pick, I mean, doesn't have a sack yet. He has one pressure. Like, you can tell he's getting better, but it's not like this dynamic – thing it's their backups that are doing these big things Devontae Wyatt hasn't played that well in the preseason I I I just think that there's so much that can happen with this pass rush that it could be so big and so deep for this team that it's something they haven't had like how many times did we go into years and years past where it's like man if Clay gets hurt we're screwed or if Zadarius goes down, we're in trouble. Like, or one of the Smith brothers goes down, we're in trouble. Like there's so many years where it's just like, if one guy gets hurt, now I'm not saying I want a guy to get hurt, but like, if one does, then I feel good about six outside linebackers on this roster. I feel good pass rush wise about three or four defensive lineman five if you include Slayton like there's just so many guys that can get after the quarterback and the best defensive lines best defensive fronts are the ones that come at you in waves my gaming guy isn't in here for me to talk about the Eagles but like their rush last year they did literal line changes like they could just move in and rotate guys and you know I, I joked last year they had two literal starting units of pass rushers now that's an embarrassment of riches can you realistically build a team like that year in and year out but long gone are the days of Jonathan Garvin and Ladarius Hamilton and no disrespect to those kinds of guys, but long gone are the days of those guys basically wasting reps. I think this pass rush, I am so excited for it. Early in the season, if they could stop the run at all, third and long, like prayers to your quarterback, unless he's, you know, Justin Fields that can break the pocket because he's going to have to run for his life. I think for me, it it ties back to what we talked about last week where I was really hammering home that, hey, look, this roster doesn't have cannon fodder right now. And on paper and based on preseason and camp, we might get to the regular season and realize, damn, some of these dudes can't play. When the lights are actually at their brightest, some of these guys can't play. That's sort of the nature of the first couple weeks of the season. You get the camp hype and then hey, let's find out if these guys are actually good, and sometimes they're not. By the way, uh, Iowa Joe, great call out. Tip as well. Uh, not maybe one of the most memorable Green Bay Packers of all time, but I love the call out. But you look at your edge group, your, your true edge group, and you look at the defensive line group as well. There are going to be legitimately difficult depth chart and roster decisions. And to your point about, you know, well, if Big Z goes down, we're screwed. Or if Clay Matthews goes down, we are screwed. And the Packers had to deal with that particular case a couple of times during his illustrious career in Green Bay. But up front, Carl Brooks is turning heads. I loved that pick. That was one of my favorite picks in the whole draft. Did the you, the sack that he had that was wiped mm-hmm. away, like, 
I don't mean to invoke this name because this name gives me nightmares and this family was sent solely to torment me, but that hand swipe looked like a Bosa brother. Like that is a compliment to the highest degree that I could possibly give because the Bosa's are two of the 10 best pass rushers in football. Nick might be the best one. Like they're both sofa King good. And that is what Carl Brooks looked like. Now, granted, well, at the point he was playing against the Patriots starting offensive line too. So it's not like he's playing bums. It's not right. like he's playing me. So, huh, I, I mean, again, I don't know how these, these rookies are going to hold up against the run, but if they can rush the, if they can get a chance to rush the passer, I think they're going to be able to do that. And I'm again, just so excited for like, Basically, any defensive lineman not named Ford or Slayton, I think, can rush the quarterback and win a one-on-one. And that's no disrespect to TJ Slayton. It's just that's not really what he was drafted to do. So I'm just tickled pink because I love pass rushers. And, like, I know the Packers just took one in the first round. I would take another one next year. Like, that's just how I'm wired. I I draft a pass rusher the first round every year if I could, if I was general manager. That's just how I'm wired. But – no, I agree, I agree with you. And to, so me, good. to me, it's sort of like in college football recruiting, and, and some NFL teams view it this way too. Now it's changed a little bit over time, but there are some general managers who will say, and this was Green Bay at one point, take a quarterback every year. You take one yep. every – even if it's a late-round pick, you take one every year. College football, take one every single class, at least one every single class. Make sure you have one there. Pass rushers, I'm right there with you. You – it. Sorry to make another cross-sport reference here. It is relief pitchers in baseball. You get to the trade deadline every single year, August 1st, every single year. Who could use relief pitching? Literally everyone. Every single team could use more relief help when you're making a playoff push. Pass rushers are the same thing. You can never have enough guys who can come off the edge, who can penetrate from the middle, etc. Someone's making a dirty joke. So be it with the penetration word. But like the defensive <laughs> line specifically, mentioning Carl Brooks, it, it's been difficult in recent years for the Packers to field three starting caliber defensive linemen. And depending on what you think about Dean Lowry, they may not have been fielding three NFL caliber defensive linemen. By the way, I I don't remember if I brought this up last week. I heard Paul Allen say on the Vikings broadcast, I was watching their game on NFL Network week one. They showed Dean Lowry in street clothes. And he says, you know, it didn't talk about Kenny Clark and uh, and the Smiths there in Green Bay, but, but really the guy who was making it happen was right here, Dean Lowry. Like, Shut the hell up, you old fool. You are an I mean, idiot. Listen, but anyway, Dean, Dean had better games than like what the common Packer fan might think. But like, I don't remember the Dean Lowry game, like the game where he just com- – I remember right. like a pick six he had. I remember an interception against Chicago. But I can't remember coming out of a game being like, you know, he said the Smiths. Like I remember Zadarius Smith ruining an offense from for a day. I don't yeah. remember Dean Lowry doing that ever. Oh, never. Not even once. He had moments. Shout out to my guy Peter and the Dean Lowry fan club. But no, it, he wasn't that kind of guy. So the fact that you might legitimately have Clark, Slayton, Wyatt, and hopefully something out of Carl Brooks, even if no one else takes a step forward this year, that's better than it's been. Now the bar is below the earth's mantle, but it's at least something that is a positive step for this defensive roster. Edge group, exact same thing. Preston Smith, we know what he is. Rashawn Gary did 11 on 11 today. Hopefully he is going to be good to go week one. But behind that, Lucas Van Ness, he's kind of on the Gary plan. I think I think it was actually Kawano who used that exact phrase on Twitter the other day, on the Gary plan. But I think a lot of us had a very similar 
um, style of thought when he ended up getting drafted. Brenton Cox is going to make this a very difficult final cutdown day because while he comes with baggage, like getting kicked off of two good SEC programs, including Georgia, the dude's got skill. There's a reason he was able to play at both Georgia and Florida. So that at the very least, Jacob, is going to make this difficult to figure out who's going to be the 53. Same thing on offense, the wide receiver room. It was Matt in the YouTube comments earlier. Malik Heath, how do you keep him off the roster at this point as a UDFA? You drafted a bunch of dudes as well in the back end of the draft. There is legitimate depth and talent that you're going to have to make tough decisions about, which again, and I don't want to be a total prisoner of the moment, but as we have seen when we get to November, December in recent years, there's None of that. I mean, you can go two years ago when the Packers were the best team in the NFC in the regular season. And the problem we talked about going into the playoffs was what if someone gets hurt or someone has a bad game? Who is going to step up? Matt Fralick and I had that conversation on the final bump. I don't know how many times that the top of this roster is awesome. Everything else after that, yikes. And now maybe the top of the roster isn't quite as good. You know, there's no Aaron Rodgers. There's no Devontae Adams. I get those kinds of things. But if you've got legitimate depth, floor-raising depth, that changes your entire outlook, I think. And it makes things easier for guys like Jordan Love, among others, or even, even Joe Barry, if you want to spin it that way defensively, to know, hey, we've got guys who can fill in, who can make plays, whether we're using guy number one or guy number 46 on the game day roster. Yeah, I always kind of chuckle with the you know fans when it's like, you know, next man up. It's like, well, most of the time, the next man up sucks. Like there is no next man up yeah. when uh, like Aaron Rodgers in recent years got hurt and everyone's be like, Oh, the team's got to have next man up mentality. Sure. The team does. Cause what are they supposed to say? Oh, we're screwed. Roll over and die. No, <laughs> but I don't like the mentality is not going to make Seneca Wallace a better player. The mentality is not going to make Graham Harrell a better player or anything like that. I just, I think you're right that the, again, they don't have the league MVP on the team. They don't have the best receiver in football on the team, but like the middle to bottom of the roster is much better in my opinion right now than it was in, you know, 2020, 20, especially last year, the middle and bottom of the roster last year was not very good, or it was really, really, really young in the cases of some places. But again, just curious to see where it goes. You know, you talk about the cut down days and everything like that. I mean, I'm a believer that seven receivers is excessive. I think just cut a guy and get him back on the practice squad. Chances are you're probably not going to miss him that much if he gets claimed. I think Andy Herman said last year that 10 guys got claimed across the entire league after they got cut on cutdown day. The the strategy, if you will, that I have, if they need to go heavier at another position, you mentioned Brenton Cox as keeping a sixth edge in hopes that he doesn't get claimed. Okay keep two quarterbacks and keep two running backs. And that's it. You can use the new practice squad rules to elevate Patrick Taylor or Tyler Goodson or Emmanuel Wilson, or, you know, if they get Marshawn Lynch to come out of retirement or whatever, like they can just use those rules that way. Well, now those rules play to your advantage because you can go heavier at a position like that and lighter somewhere else. And frankly, like if Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon, God forbid, go down, then you have the ability to sign those guys off of the practice squad. And, and then you kind of work that way. And then when one of them's back or whatever, you just cut that guy. And if you can re-sign on the practice squad, cool. If you can't, then like, I mean, we're talking about on the margins type stuff here. There's a million 
Patrick Taylors and Emmanuel Wilsons and players like that. But if there is a player, in my opinion, at risk of getting claimed, I think there's two. And Brenton Cox is one, and that's because of the stuff you mentioned. And, and trust me, it is hard to get kicked off of Georgia's football team when you are good at the footballing. Like, What makes Jalen you say Carter, that, Jacob? I don't what know. Makes I mean, Carter might have killed a person. Like, there's just, It's bad, right? Florida, same thing. They literally did have a guy who killed somebody years ago. And Urban Meyer, who, like, just, yeah, whatever. Like, Urban's like, eh, eh, what? Couldn't bother me none. Like it's hard to get kicked out of the SEC football and well in any football program for that matter if you're good at football, but he's one. He's very talented and he's a pass rusher, like a very valuable position where people are always looking for cheap productive labor. The other one, in my opinion, is Jonathan Ford, and that is just planet theory type stuff. And the fact that Ted Thompson used to always say, you know, the good Lord only made so many big guys that can move like that, and Ford has had a jump this preseason. Uh, Brian Gutekunst has talked about it. They rostered him all last year. And there are just only so many, like Slayton is really the only nose that they have on the team. If they're going to have Kenny Clark play D end, then that's a guy who I think you got to keep. And again, that's how do you do that? Two quarterbacks, two running backs. And again, when we get back to the receiver discussion, I just, I personally think seven's excessive because they're never going to have seven guys with a helmet on game day. And they're never mm-hmm. going to play seven receivers. Like they're just, they're not going to do that. They, they operate with two tight ends. They operate with two running backs, a bunch. And I think the one thing I do know is, is my guy, Matt Jensen, uh, the, the president of the Matt Saracen fan club said this best. Malik Heath is the fourth best receiver on this team right now. Could that change? Could it be Dontavion Wicks? Could it be Grant DeBose at someday, someday, maybe, um, I'm not as big on Samari Toure as some people are. I did not realize he had the fan club that he had, but people were not happy when I said they should cut him. But to me, at the bottom of the roster like that, that's when you're taking chances on guys that can be more than than just a guy at certain positions, right? Like, you know, Iowa Joe, Patrick Taylor is just a guy. Yeah, he is. But you know what? For third running back, might be the only thing I want is just a guy for something yeah. like that. No, I, but, I think that makes sense. But and I think that's, by the way, that's kind of restricted the bottom. By the way, the point about Samori Toure, uh, and I know Iowa Joe knows this, that, and that's Nebraska fans. They're, they're, they'll respect their guys even when they're on they the team. They are teams. weird. <laughs> they are weird people. I mean, shout, I out know, the, I, shout out to the bug eaters out there, though. I knew they were delusional because they think the 97 Huskers would beat the 97 Michigan Wolverines, and that's delusional enough. But these people that think like, Scott Frost was the second coming. Scott Frost has one more winning season than you and I do as college head coaches, Brendan. Did you know that? I'll I'll take you know one tenth of his salary with those kind of numbers, honestly. Right, exactly. Or, well, the buyout so, anyway. But you would think Samari Toure was Devonte Adams, just wearing number eighty three and being a lot smaller and not as good at football. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> that that's camp though, right? Like guys develop fan clubs and that's mm-hmm. you know they get burned when those guys get cut or they're not actually good but hey that's that's when hope springs eternal in the football world uh i did want to touch on those quarterbacks you mentioned just keeping two i'm with you i i'm sorry to alex magoo but i don't think that's a necessary roster addition clifford is obviously going to be around jordan love is obviously going to be your starter i don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on how well jordan actually played this week i think what happened on his final drive before the touchdowns maybe the bigger deal because frankly, 
it was a lot of the same as week one of the preseason, right? It was a couple slow developing things early on. I thought the offensive line actually had some really good push on some of those early run plays, but you had the, whatever the mistake was on the fumbled snap. You had some things that just weren't really clicking. And then the final drive he was in the game, he looked awesome. And they just tore through the opposing defense. That touchdown pass to Reed was sick. That was an awesome play. That was one of the best plays I've seen from Jordan Love preseason or not. But kind of like last week, Jacob, I don't really feel any different. Like we got almost the exact same performance, maybe a tad better this week. So if nothing changed for me after week one, nothing's going to change after week two when we essentially saw two cloned performances. Yeah, the only small caveat I'll throw in there is New England's defense is badass and like true coached by the greatest coach in the history of the modern NFL. Um, and I say modern because Vince Lombardi existed. But I will say that, and that was a team that played their starters. So I think that matters. Um, and I think that seeing him stack performances that, like you said, he cloned a performance. Well, he was solid back-to-back weeks. You know, I've never mm-hmm. seen... Jordan Love play very well in back-to-back games like that. You know, it's just, it hasn't happened. I think the biggest thing for optimism is he has not turned the ball over in a game yet. Knock on wood. But that was a big issue coming into this season. I think he had played five games of extended, uh, not including the Eagle game last year, five games of like extended opportunity between the preseason and the regular season. And he had turned the ball over at least once in every single one of them. He threw three picks in a preseason game last year. Like they just, there are turning the ball over and he's going to turn the ball over more than Rogers. I know that every quarterback in the history of the world has done that, but it's been nice to see that he hasn't turned the ball over. They get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. If I have one beef, I guess it's that Christian Watson hasn't made a play in a game yet, but like big deal. That's a minor, (laughs) like that's a really minor thing for that. So I just, I want to see all that. I want to see what they do when everything's put together. I was very happy with the way he was protected by his offensive line and not just on the fight. I just mean like in general, I think the line has been incredible. The Packers have like four or five guys that are functional offensive tackles in the NFL. And some teams don't even roster two. like Brian Gutekunst for some of his faults. And there are some deserves a ton of credit for the way he's built this offensive line because every year, when you sit back and roll your eyes on day three that, oh my God, he took three offensive linemen. It's like, well, this is why like Rashid Walker is starting at left tackle and he looks like he may have surpassed Yosh Nyman as the team's primary swing tackle. Like that's a big deal for him. But as far as Jordan Love goes again, like I think I said last week, I, I feel pretty safe in saying this is not going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. He's not going to be Josh Rosen bad or name your whoever your favorite shitty quarterback is like that's not going to happen Spurgeon win. but sure Billy Volick, former Cleveland Brown great former Tennessee Titan great Billy Volick won a playoff game for the uh San Diego Chargers he had a quarterback sneak against the Indianapolis yeah. Colts and they they won that one so there you go Billy Volick. Uh, but whoever name your guy doesn't matter he's not going to be that guy is he going to be you know Mahomes Allen Burrow Hurts great player no um, somebody needs like uh, how I just, I mean, and granted I've got criticisms about Brian Gutekunst, but ruin the team. I don't think that's true, but yeah, whatever. Like I, I don't know what he's done since 2020, like built the best roster in the NFL twice. It's not his fault. Bakhtiari got hurt. Okay. Whatever. That's a troll. I'm moving on. Anyways, I think Jordan love is in a good spot 
And, and I like the way I just want to see him stack one last good performance against a, a good team. Uh, you know, Seattle is a team with, uh, with a reputation. I think they'll try in the preseason, which matters. Like if you're playing a team that just doesn't care, then it doesn't matter that much. But I think Seattle is a team that will try because Pete Carroll's old and he's old school because of that. So I'm, I'm excited to see that this week. Cleo Lemon also in that group, by the way. Yeah, and I think the protection was generally encouraging. I think it's extremely encouraging that you have this many guys who can play this many roles. And if Nyminger swing tackle, fine. We've seen that that can work in the past. If it's Rasheed Walker and he's better than Yash Nyman, well, awesome, because that's then better than we've seen in the past. Right. Bach is going to be, I imagine, week to week, day to day, probably, like he was all last season. But I will take 12 games of David Bakhtiari over almost any other tackle in the league. He's that good when he's in there. I'm fine living with that. And if you've got a Walker or a Nyman to back him up, awesome. Tom looks like he's the real deal at right tackle. I know I was a little more bullish on him entering this year than you were. But if, again, if he's the best player there, awesome. Great spot. I don't know what's going to happen at center. Ugh, not so sure there. Um, right tackle, that's going to be Runyon, Big E, obviously. Or I'm sorry, right guard. Left guard going to be Big E. It's going to be a good line regardless. I think it, it's it got legitimately you know consistent top 10 in the league kind of potential with that group out there. And I hope that everyone stays healthy and everyone can stay out there. But like I mentioned, the biggest deal to me, and this sort of ties into something we talked about last week too, with the, the vibe with this team is good. The positivity mm -hmm. amongst each other, the positivity toward their young quarterback who has been around and has I'll be blunt, been through some shit already, even though he's barely been on the field. Like, they stick up for him. And between all the fights at practice last week with the Patriots, then Love getting a late hit, or getting hit late, getting up, he was barking at, uh, I can't remember his name, I apologize, 96 for the Patriots, whoever hit him late. He had two penalties in that game, in fact. And then the offensive line coming over, sticking up for him. That means something. And that's not to say that these guys wouldn't have backed up Aaron Rodgers. We saw plenty of times in his career, yes, they did do just that. But... We've also seen, you want to go cross sport here? Remember when Jose Ramirez knocked Tim Anderson flat on his ass a couple of weeks ago? One guy, one guy came to support Tim Anderson on a roster of 25 other people. One dude came to check on him. That was his pitcher, Michael Kopech. Nobody else worried about that. So you can end up in a situation like that where, hey, we really don't like give a shit. Like, okay, you're talking to the preseason, whoever. No, the watching the offensive line stick up for him was cool. That was kind of a run through a brick wall moment. And to be honest with you, so was love clapping back and chirping back because that was pretty sick. I, I got jazzed up by that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, I thought it was awesome. I think that that was the biggest And I, I wrote about it this week. It said, you might have a throw. It might feel like a throwaway moment in a preseason game, but I don't think it is like I, and I've said this before. I promise you there are, there are players in that locker room right now and not just David Bakhtiari that in March thought bring Aaron back. Like Rogers is our best chance to win a championship. It's not just his best friend and not just those guys. There are players that think that, but to a man, and this includes David Bakhtiari, save for one weird interview in the off season, which I kind of, I give him the benefit of the doubt from the standpoint of he's friends with Rogers. So he probably feels a certain type of way to where like he works for this team and his teammates with these guys. But like, I'm also best friends with this dude. And he always says he had a big sure. impact on his life, blah, blah, blah. But to a man, Rashawn Gary, Aaron Jones, Kenny Clark, Rasul Douglas. Uh, I'm sure I'm Dre Campbell. I'm sure I'm missing some guys in there, but they've all said, we want this dude. He's our guy. Like that's our guy. And then when he hits the deck like that, 
you know, Aaron Rodgers had Josh Sitton and TJ Lang and Bakhtiari and some of these guys as enforcers, like, Hey, we got you back. Like, um, there's an old scene from a Keanu Reeves's greatest movie, in my opinion, is the replacements with Shane Falco and it's Andre and yes. Jamal Jackson. And when Eddie Martell and, and all those dudes flip his truck over, whatever, <laughs> these dudes come up and say, flip the truck back over. And they say, we're the guards and we protect our quarterback. And that's kind of what the mentality is. Now, Jamal Jackson shoots the window of Eddie Martell's <laughs> windshield, but maybe they don't need to do that. But fighting with him on the field, yeah, I'm with that. And I and you saw like LaFleur, to me, Matt LaFleur sounds, I don't want to use the word rejuvenated because I just think there's so many things that come across as like, oh my God, Aaron Rodgers just held this team as prisoner the last few years. But I do think there is kind of like this, Sigh of yes, just a new start. I don't want to call it sigh of relief because again, relief makes it sound like they didn't want him there. They did, but when you don't like, there's there's tension. There was for three years. The guy publicly feuded with the organization and said he wanted all of every player in that room's boss. They wanted him fired. Like Roger said, he wanted him fired. They know that. That causes tension. But Matt LaFleur sounds rejuvenated and he sounds like a guy who after that, they were like, do you want to see that? And he was basically like, he didn't even let the reporter finish the question. He was like, heck yeah, I want to see stuff like that. That's awesome. What Zach Tom did. That was very cool to see. Again, I don't think it was a throwaway moment. I think it was a big deal and proof like, you know, again, maybe they'll suck. Maybe Jordan Love stinks, but they're behind him. And if they stink this year, it won't be because of, the divided locker room, which I think to date right now is Matt LaFleur's biggest challenge as a head coach is to keep this locker room that is relatively young, but still has some vets, Jair, Kenny, Preston, Bakhtiari, et cetera, all together and bought into new starting quarterback. We were Super Bowl contenders, Super Bowl favorites for the last few years. Now we're not kind of move on to getting everybody together back on the same page and saying like, you know, one small transition here, the inventor of the Oreo. Congratulations. Welcome to the show, Mark. And uh happy day to uh, your son. Um, getting to have them all together for a small reset this year. And then next year, like next year, if Jordan Love shows that he's good, next year is the year to kind of run with it. By the way, uh, two quick things I want to get to here. One, uh, Mark with a great take, too, uh, on the Zach Tom train. Mark Shrove, a very smart guy. I've come to know that very quickly. Very uh, bold. You taken- Has no hair. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't know a whole lot about that. Um, also, you taking the replacements over Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I am. Shane Falco is uh, one, of, one of the few uh, – actually, I think it's the only – uh, I think it's the only, it has to be. No, it doesn't have to be because they made a couple like Savages shirts from 2019. But the the only thing I ever bought from Barstool was pain heels, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. Like Shane Falco's hilarious. That was, and that whole movie I think is hilarious. Nigel Gruff, kicker, Great legendary character. character. Yeah, I mean, that, that scene with Andre and Jamal Jackson, like I just talked about, that was awesome. Danny Bateman, that was awesome. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, the, Oh God, what was his name? The cornerback from prison that they literally pulled out of jail to be like, that was hilarious. Yeah. I love that movie. That is one of my top, if I made a top 10 list of movies, it's in that top 10. Uh, does it ever occur to you? And, uh, 
our, our guy NFL Beatster as well mentioned this on YouTube. Does it ever occur to you that Keanu Reeves played a former Ohio State quarterback in two different movies? No. It was Shane Falco and Johnny Utah. Oh, gosh. Okay, no, I didn't. Well, Isn't that weird? Shane Falco, he must be a Buckeye fan or something. I hope not. Because, like, Apparently so. Um, we have some quick hitters we're going to get to coming up a little bit later on in the show. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Seahawks game. I wanted to get a couple of, not really props, but some predictions for a couple of the Packers receivers. But there's also something that I wanted to follow up that I know you've really been hammering on on Twitter, X, Zitter, whatever, for a while. And I know you've talked about it on podcasts as well. There is a belief among a lot of Packers fans and I have at times been, you know, Mr. Run the ball guy at the TV too. So I'm not trying to just blame other people for this opinion, but it seems that it is very common. And this is a national thing too, that the Packers need to like hand the ball off to Aaron Jones 75% of the time and another 15% of the time to AJ Dillon, and then maybe throw the ball 10% of the time. And it all has to be play action. And I'm kind of going overkill with this to make a point, but also that's sort of how it feels in the online community sometimes that this needs to be a run-oriented team. I hate to to use cliches and I hate to use coach speak here, but we've heard this before and it was said, and I can't remember which of the coaches it was, but Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic and her The Playmaker series for The Athletics football show, which by the way was absolutely phenomenal. Talks about Shanahan, LaFleur, McDaniel, McVay, all these guys who come from that Mike Shanahan tree and how they have found so much success in all this. And whichever coach it was, was talking about marrying the run in the pass. Mm -hmm. And it's not run, run, run to set up a pass. It is, well, sometimes you pass to set up the run. Sometimes you run to set up the pass. Sometimes it's about matchups. Sometimes it's about certain personnel you see on the other side. Sometimes it's not just Aaron Jones is on a heater handed off to him when there's nine dudes in the box on the other side. That doesn't always work, even though sometimes that gets yelled at us for whatever reason you said today on on twitter on tuesday that hey this cannot be a run first team it, it was in reaction to one of love's good plays at practice on tuesday and i'm in agreement with you because a that doesn't like really work all that often unless you have greatness everywhere else kind of like philly a little bit last year but even philadelphia had a really damn good passing game they just they never were the, did in the second half because they the were ball. up all the time they threw the ball statistically the most in the first half and the least in the second half because they scored a boatload of points in the first half and could just pound you into submission in the second half. And if you're trying to figure out, hey, is this guy going to be a long-term option at quarterback? One, your best option to win with him is going to be throwing the ball. It doesn't have to be a shot play on every third and one, fourth and one, but it needs to be trying to move the ball vertically and also, just from an evaluation standpoint, what do you learn about Jordan Love if you're running the ball 65% of the time? Just serious, like That's a serious question. What are you actually learning about what he can be as an NFL player if you do that? I don't think it's enough to prove that he's your long-term guy. I'm hopeful he's your long-term guy. So as much as I want Aaron Jones to be at least a little bit more involved in the offense one way or the other, it can't also just be we are the Green Bay Aaron Joneses and that's the entire team. Because if that happens, this team is going to peak out at about six games, six wins. Yeah, and every third and one does not need to be a straight dive play to A.J. Dillon, and the internet seems to think that third and one passes are only supposed to go two yards. And I think that, I mean, like last year, the example I always give, Brendan, and I'll ask you, it's fourth and one, you're playing Miami on Christmas Day. You run a play-action pass, and you have Christian Watson schemed up against their fourth cornerback, 
going 25 yards down the field. Is that not exactly what you want when you draw that play up? Of course it is. Yeah. Rogers, the problem, of course, was he didn't hit him. So I think he overthrew, underthrew, whatever. He didn't hit the play, so the play didn't work. So it's like, oh, Aaron's throwing the ball a million yards down the field. It's like, well, that's exactly what was supposed to happen. And, like, that's exactly how I want that to happen. So my strategy, like you said, what can you learn about Jordan Love? To use a uh, quote from the uh, another American cinematic classic, Major Pain, stop babying him. Like, you can't baby the quarterback and learn. Like, again, like you said, if they let him Jimmy Garoppolo this thing and just hand the ball off 35 times a game and throw five passes and, you know, just never expose him to anything, you're not going to learn anything about him in a year where you need to know because they're not going into next year in a situation most likely where he's a lame duck quarterback. They'll give him, that's why they gave him the extension they did this year. They didn't want him to be a lame duck quarterback. They wanted some proof of commitment that way. So the Packers last year threw the ball the 18th most times in the, not like uh, total attempts, but percentage wise passing plays on 18% of the time. That includes alleged audibles, passing out of run pass options, like all this stuff that was big and evil about Aaron Rodgers and ruining Matt LaFleur in this running game, 18th most. And it was a team that finished eight and nine. So it's not like they were 13 and four and running the ball a bunch because they were winning by a bunch of points. That was not what was happening. They need to sling this motherfucker. Like line it up. Teams are going to force Jordan Love to beat him, beat them, oblige them. Give him that opportunity and learn if he can, because if he can't, then you want a different quarterback anyways. Mm -hmm. But if he can, then you know, you got your dude. And that is the matchup that they are giving you that is going to win the game. And to Lafleur's credit for the most part, like uh, there was a game, his first season against the Eagles, uh, where that team was the number one team in the NFL at run against the run. And everyone's like, oh, the floor has got this outside zone running game. He's going to be like Shanahan and want to run it a bunch or whatever. And I think they ran it like seven times total in that game. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a lot. So like, to me, that was proof of is your philosophy to run your offense or is it to win the game? And like, yeah, if the Packers are playing the 32nd ranked run defense, I want them to run the ball. That's the matchup. But overall, this is a passing league and run the ball and win with defense. And all this stuff that you hear is these old cliches. They're old cliches for a reason because they're not real anymore. The final score of last year's Super Bowl was 38 to 35. Score points. And the easiest way to score points, the fastest way to scoring points is through the air. So you got to learn what this quarterback is, sling that rock. And I don't know if this is something you can really see in practice coming up in a preseason game because it's dumb to say, "Hey, we're going to run the entire offense here. Like we're going to play you a whole half and we're going to, you know, pull out the week 1 playbook." That's not smart for anyone so this is probably not something we can actually see in practice until we get to week one and honestly probably not even there i mean it's probably going to take a while i keep saying it over and over and over until i'm blue in the face beating this dead horse beyond death but it's going to take time and there are going to be growing pains there are going to be games where this offense looks like garbage it is going to look like something that oscar the grouch would not take into his can it's going to be bad there are also probably going to be some games where i scream he's the one at the tv nonstop for three hours until like my wife leaves the apartment like it, it's going to be that and that's part of the fun of a new quarterback and 
not a new offense, but an offense that might look a little different, maybe refreshed. Maybe that's a good word for this offense. It'll look a little refreshed with fewer of the shots being called actually by the quarterback. But in terms of what we can actually see in the preseason, we can see Jordan Love do more of the same. I would love for it to not be bad drive, good drive, alternating, or even bad drive, bad drive, good drive. But I do think we can say, hey, can we get another touchdown drive? Can you go 75, 80? It doesn't even have to be a full field drive. They get the ball at the 40-yard line. Okay, just go 60 yards. You get it on the, the plus 40. They get just 40 yards. I don't care. Can we see a solid scoring drive? Can we see you move the ball, not make any bad decisions, not throw it 18 yards over Luke Musgrave's head on a deep cross? Something like that. Just you said stacking it earlier, and I think that's the perfect way to put it. Stack the wins. Defensive line. We talked about them earlier. Have another good showing. No one needs to be great, but show, hey, this is real. This is repeatable. Wide receiver, Malik Heath, go out there and do what you've been doing. Go crush someone with a block and then catch three passes in the game. Just do what you've been doing, and that optimism, I think, continues because it's proof positive that this is repeatable, and it's not just, yeah, it's, it's preseason flukes. Because we see those every year for every team. Somebody on this team who's had a good camp or a good preseason, Jacob, is going to have a bad regular season or might not make it to the 53. Or by the middle of the year, we say, damn, that was really was just a specter in camp. He's not really an NFL guy. That's going to happen to every single team in the league. But as many guys as you can get who prove they can repeat this, even if it's against twos, I don't care if it's against the twos for Seattle or against the ones or the threes or whoever. Can you show us again that you are capable of doing this? Because- Three examples of that is better than two is better than one. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, and I hope it is against the ones because there is like Philly, Dallas, San Francisco. That's pretty much the consensus for the top three teams in the NFC. Seattle has an argument for being team number four. And that's more of a byproduct of the fact that who the hell is team number four? Like I have no idea. Right. So I want to see him against their ones. I think Seattle's got a good, promising young defense that is going to be able to do some stuff against good teams during the regular season. Not suggesting the Packers aren't a good team. We just don't know. Uh, but as far as things I want to see, have to see, whatever you want to say, I would. these are basically things I want to see. Luke Musgrave, yak opportunity, and a real one, not like the one he had kind of last week where Love missed it. Like, I want to see a real one. I want to see a deep shot to Christian Watson and an explosive passing play that isn't just like, like the moon ball last week was nice, but you know what I mean? Where it's like deep crosser, like Jaden Reed's touchdown, but it goes for 25 yards instead of 11. And like he catches yeah. the ball and runs in for the score, that kind of thing. Uh, defensively, I want to see that pass rush again. And specifically, you know, Lucas Van Ness, let's get home, man. I'm not suggesting I'm disappointed or anything. Cause I still think he's going to be a hell of a player, but get these guys in, and, and hit this quarterback because Gino can move a little bit uh, if he's going to play. And Seattle's got some – Jackson Smith and Jigba's not going to play this week because he had wrist surgery, but they got some good receivers. If those guys are going to suit up and play, like this is a good offense they could play against uh, this weekend. So I'd like to see how that's going to work. And then just, again, like I said, keep getting after that quarterback because if you can do that, I mean, Buddy Ryan once said, you know, no quarterback has ever completed a pass from his back. And then he also said they must go down and they must go down hard. So I'm all for that. Put the quarterback on his butt. That's the easiest way to neutralize. That's that's the only way that anybody's ever really beaten Patrick Mahomes, for example, is they've put him on his back enough and or hit him enough, rattled him enough. It was the only way people beat Tom Brady. Like the Giants, they built teams that beat Brady that way. So those are the things I'd like to see.
those are the big ones. Again, put together a good, clean performance. Get the hell out of there without anybody getting injured. I love the point about the deep ball there because I think, and I, this is going to sound insanely reductive to what it takes to be an NFL quarterback and deep ball passer, and I don't intend it to be that way. But there is a difference between huck it, chuck it deep for 40 yards and you know one-on-one make a play, and we're actually running some sort of more intricate vertical concept, more some sort of more intricate vertical play. We talk about the illusion of complexity a lot with this offense and offenses from this tree. I don't need illusions. I don't need Penn and Teller. I just need something that is obviously a little bit more complex than just, you know, F it, Romeo down there somewhere. We just a little bit more than that. And that's not just what that play was. Again, I'm I understand that there's more that goes into it. There's more intricacies than that. But my point remains that seeing a little bit more of an advanced overdeveloped kind of deep passing game, just, just a little bit of it, just, just one play. And I'll say, okay, I'm in, I am bought in. I have a very low standard for acceptance in my life, Jacob. I need one example that you care about me and you, I will be yours forever. I need one example that there is more to this vertical passing game. And I'll probably get Jordan loves face tattooed on my back. Like that's all I need from this game. And if we get that, we're feeling pretty good. That's a lot. Like that's heavy. I don't know if that's a good idea, but you know, wow. What's the line from the movie, the internship by Owen Wilson. That's a really odd thing to get tattooed on your back. Like, but in the Owen Wilson voice. So it sounds funnier. Yeah. I mean, it would be the weirdest thing I had tattooed on my torso, so it'd be fine. Let's get to a couple of quick predictions here before we wrap up the show. These aren't official Vegas props this week. Last week we did the NFC North win total predictions. But I just wanted to leave this a little bit more open-ended when talking about this receiver group. We talked about the depth of it. Malik Heath obviously having a good camp. We're all in on Christian Watson. Hashtag dongs out for Dobbs. I like this receiver room a lot, and that includes That's the not tight a end. Thing. Shout out to Todd. Did you just make it? Go ask our pal Todd Varney. It is absolutely a thing. Just because Todd says it's a thing doesn't make it a thing. Hey, Matt and I, Matt Freilich and I brought it up first. And then it it became a thing. It might be a thing to three people, but I swear to you, it is a thing, but it is not a thing okay. you can do in mixed company. So with this receiver room, then, I will ask you from two perspectives. Who do you think is going to lead the Packers this year in receptions? And who's going to lead this team in receiving yards? That could be the same, because I, I have a hunch I know who you're going to go with in terms of receptions. But I think depending on the different usages of these guys, receivers, tight ends, slot, boundary, whatever – you could easily come up with two different answers here. I still think the answer for both is Christian Watson. And I know the, uh, I know the way that camp has played out has led people to believe that Romeo Dobbs is the guy. And this isn't to suggest that Dobbs won't be, won't have a good year. Cause I do think that he will, but you saw at the end of last year, I think how the Packers want to like Watson was the focal point of their passing game. And I still like, we haven't seen it yet. But, like, there's going to be big slot opportunities for Watson. So these deep crossers that are going to Musgrave and Jaden Reed, which those guys, I want them to get those too. But Watson is nasty, and I think he's going to hit enough big plays. But I think he's good enough and nuanced enough as a route runner now to still get that volume in the passing game. And and realistically, I think Matt LaFleur is smart. So I think he's going to say, I want the ball in the hands of my most explosive playmaker the most. And that's nothing against Romeo Dobbs, but I think Ross Uglum, who always says things like way more proper than they need to be, but he said, you cannot teach the gifts that our Lord and Savior gave Christian Watson. And you can't. 
You can't be, you cannot teach him someone to be that big and that fast and that athletic and that quick. The biggest thing with Watson is just going to be consistency, but I do think they're going to build around him in this passing game. And, you know, he's going to be the big play guy, but I also think that we almost have it in our head, like with the way this offense has gone, that Devonte was the do everything guy, right? Like when in doubt it goes to Devonte, and then they had MVS for their bomber stuff. Well, that's not really how the offense I think is going to work anymore to where we kind of do stuff like that. I think that they're going to get the ball to Watson. I think they're going to work the ball to Dobbs and Reed and Musgrave and, and why wow, I just said that really weird Musgrave. And I think they're just going to find ways to get Watson the ball the most. And when it's all said and done, he's the guy who leads the team in, in yards. Cause like you said, he's going to have the longest plays. I think that's the way you thought I was going to go with that. And then receptions. I just, like I said, I think he's going to get plenty of targets too. I'm with you in terms of yardage because I think those explosives are going to be there. And I know as much as I, I think fairly rag on a lot of fantasy football, Twitter guys, the guys who have FF at the end of their Twitter handle, there have been some examples and I've seen pointed out during this off season that, Hey, just some proof positive. This is not just a fluke. Christian Watson's insane heater. The back half of last year was not just a random rookie going off. No, this is repeatable. These were actually great plays. These were actually great games. Those explosives are going to be there. The opportunities are going to be there. And frankly, if they're not in the passing game, I trust that Matt LaFleur is going to figure out a way. If it's not working in the vertical passing game, I should say, they will find a way to get him the ball. Because like Ross said, as you pointed out, you you can't teach those gifts. Those are things that a small, to tie back to what you said about the linemen earlier, not everybody's got those gifts. Not everybody can move like that. I'm six foot four, too. I don't look like that, and I don't move like that one bit. That is uh, unique, in, especially for NFL players, let alone for regular idiots like me. I am going to go with Dobbs as the leader in terms of number of receptions, though. I remember from, must have been OTAs, it was minicamp, it was sometime earlier in the spring, earlier in the offseason, when we heard, hey, there's a real connection here. Like Watson's obviously the stud. He's obviously the most gifted of these receivers. He's got the natural talent that you you truly can't teach, but there really is a an innate connection between Love and Dobbs, whether they worked on that last year when Dobbs was maybe not working with the ones quite as often. I don't know where that developed, but it sounded like there really was something there. We have seen that transpire during camp. We have seen that transpire during preseason games so far. The deep ball has not been especially good. There's a reason, I think, that through two games, the one of them that did work out was the one along that right rail to Romeo Dobbs where he made the sensational catch to keep it in bounds last week. So I, I'm going to lean with Dobbs there, but again, I don't think he is quite as much of an explosive threat as Christian Watson is. And I, to be frank, I hope that he's not, because if he is, that probably means something went horribly wrong with Christian Watson, less so that all of a sudden Romeo Dobbs became one of the most explosive players in the NFL. That is coming up this weekend, Packers-Seahawks preseason game number three. And after that, week one against the Chicago Bears. We'll be back coming up next week to talk all about this matchup against the Seahawks, what went right, Jordan Love, the whole shebang. We're looking forward to that. Don't forget to check out the podcast. It's the Game on Wisconsin podcast feed, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Go check it out. And of course, make sure you're following everybody involved here across social media, Game on Wisconsin on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm at Brendan DZW on Twitter. Jacob is at Jacob Westendorf. I'm feeling pretty good. I hope I have not pissed you off enough. You're like, wow, this dude is a moron. I can't host with him anymore. I'm hopeful three weeks is more than I usually get with partners. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can get to week four here. It's a, the future, as some might say, is, is a beautiful mystery. So I guess we'll see what happens next week. <laughs>
That's a little bit more ominous than I was hoping for, but it's not a straight out rejection, so I can live with it. For Jacob Westendorf, I'm Brendan Dwarzynski. This is the Pick 6 every Tuesday night live right here on Game On Wisconsin. We'll talk to you guys next week.